let's, let's do the preparatory turning off of the Married from Tech News today, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. The following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. for mature audiences. Welcome to another edition of Alpha Geek Fridays, this time coming to you from the vast broadcast, broadcast cathedral. cathedral. Oh, right to then. Yes, we are broadcasting from Vegas, baby. You think we'll get there by midnight? He'd be up five honey by midnight. Oh, Vegas, baby. Vegas. As you may have detected, I brought some stragglers along with me. Where? You. There. <laughs> there? There. <sighs> Joining Damn. me for the trip to the Consumer Electronics Show 2012, my namesake generator in the form of Proper Todd, also known I as Todd Prime. I am Todd Prime. I am the other Todd. And hey, there's a straggling Wayne along. There's a dangling Wayne. <laughs> Possibly a swinging <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> and Todd Prime is biting back Good timing. Good, Good timing. Not while I'm drinking, sir. Not while I'm drinking. <laughs> I wanted to see you do a spit take with your coffee. Oh, God. It got everywhere. It's <laughs> in my raccoon wound. Coffee cocky. Ooh, that could hurt. Joining us through the miracle of the intertubes, my man in Canada. Joel Duggan. Joel he, Duggan, welcome to the show. He's the mouth. Well, thank you very much, sir. We did. We had some fine pictures of uh, some uh, RCMP alleged members down here. Though I don't think they, uh, RCMP normally wear uh, miniskirts. And you CFM completely groups. cut out thanks to Skype. I didn't hear anything that you just asked me. We were talking about, uh, they had a booth here at CES, which was all about gathering together all of the fine products from Canada. And oh, they had I see. A lovely young lady in a mock up of an RCMP uniform. And um, if, she oh. is in, <laughs> if she is in fact from Canada, damn, you grow some nice up there. Yeah. There, there are some very pretty ladies from Canada. I will, I will give, uh, give our Canuck pride uh, a tip of the hat uh, in that area for sure. I don't know uh, how, how I feel about. Um, the way that the the showgirls are at uh, tech conferences, uh, I've seen several posts from several um, cynical bloggers and tech people like, "Oh, this is how insert random company here sells earbuds," and it's basically like you know half naked chicks in miniskirts sitting in front of the 
Like, well, you but, have pretty girls, but do your earbuds work? Yeah, Joel, that's a function of uh, the marketplace, right? There are so many people selling earbuds out there that to get any leg up, because an earbud is an earbud is an earbud, right? I mean, at, at some point, uh, once you get to a certain level of service life and price point, they're all the same. Oh, don't know. Mine would be dazzled. Mine have skins of Marvel characters. Okay, well, that, that's fine, but I'm just saying mine was given to me by somebody who's 36, 24, 34, and had a two-hairdo skirt on, and so they are better somehow. At least that's what they want you to come away feeling as, well, a, yeah, as, exactly. a, as a white middle-aged I'm male. just saying, you didn't see ridiculously undressed booth babes at, say, the Panasonic booth, because they don't have to. Right, because they got the right, stuff. Right, because they have the stuff. Right, exactly. I'm sorry. Was that cynical? I I can, well, well, I I can never tell. To clarify for everybody, you guys you guys are all um, foot tired from walking around CES in Las Vegas all week. Oh my yes. God! Yes. No. This is this beyond foot tired. This is whole, whole body weary at this stage because we that was three days of con in rapid succession followed by an okay. We fought, at least we didn't go out last night like the night before. <laughs> there, there were no sponsored parties with. Unlimited pours of Grey Goose vodka. Yeah. Ow. Mm. Ow. Ow, my liver! So we're moderately more aware of our surroundings uh, today as opposed mm. to yesterday morning when I was on. If you go back and listen to the morning stream for my segment near the beginning of the show, rather pitiful. <laughs> I, I, if I do say so myself, I was, I was a, a wretched uh, chunk of humanity. Driftwood washing up on the shores of another show. <laughs> yes. why, why the hell they let me come on the air? I have no idea. Well, it's because you control the rig. Well, no, this is me going on another show. <laughs> oh, on the other show. I was ah. skyping into Scott's rig. Gotcha, gotcha. He had the power, and for some reason, didn't exercise it. Must have felt sorry for me or something. Ha! Huh. But it's funny with all the booth babes and the angst or whatever some people feel over it. I don't think it really matters one way or another, because if you were there and you actually had the mindset of looking at any technology, you walked right past them. Yeah. You know, they were there to... They do become a blur of, okay, don't care, don't care, don't yeah, care. Yeah, it's, it's like, all right, I've seen, I don't know, a hundred of you. Who cares? At, I, I have a mission today to see that actual keyboard or to listen to those headphones. Right. And so you walk right past. I mean, every once in a while, one of them might catch your eye. Because, I don't know, she's not as plastic as the last three. A lot of them are really powerfully disinterested in what's going on around them. Especially later in the show. Yeah. Like, can I just, I just want to get into my comfortable shoes and go the hell home is the vibe you get off of many of them. And you're sympathizing with them at that point because what you want to do is get in your comfortable shoes and go the hell home as well. So, we're all on the same page. Is it weird that I wanted to get in her comfortable shoes? <laughs> a, little, a little bit. And a go little home? A little bit. Oh. Um... Yeah, you should actually consider not talking. Uh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And let's do a Skype check here. Uh, Joel, are you actually still with us? I'm still with you, but I'm getting really um, large chunks of dead air, and it's not um, its not catching up. I'm actually missing uh, bits of the conversation. So Let if I'm kill... seeming out of source, that's, uh, that's probably what it is. Bye, Let Kobe. Me... Yeah, I'm killing me. Uh... You Bye, were Kobe. on the video while I told you, son of a bitch! I, you son of a bitch! I she was <laughs> in a bathrobe. I, I don't care. I I had to see it. I'm not the guilty one this time. <laughs> For once, Wayne is not the guilty party. I will entertain myself other ways. 
I am going to smother you in your sleep. You're not going to be here when I sleep next. <laughs> so the question that uh-huh. I have now, I guess, is Todd Prime have a goatee? Because it, it... I do not. Todd is the evil Todd. You don't? Yeah. I think he's, he's so here then... incognito. He shaved it off once he crossed the, crossed the dimensional barrier. I'm bad Todd, and you're good Todd. You're little goody two-shoes. Mm. <laughs> little goody two-shoes. Psh. Have we improved things at all, Joel, by killing our multiple video feeds of the nice lady in the bathroom from Canada? Uh, it does appear to have corrected itself, so yes. Go figure! I, w- I will <laughs> simply blame Todd Prime. As well you should. So, as we were saying, yes, the Booth Babes, <clears throat> um, they're simply, they are a fact of life and, and an expectation. They're, they become so much of the background noise so exactly. quickly. It doesn't matter. I, I don't think they make any difference. The the real comedy was seeing some of the, like you said, the lesser companies, and specifically, what was it, uh, Toshi, that introduced their little dancing robots to music, slash their big one that would dance and had a speaker in its chest. Mm-hmm. And when they announced it, they had uh, Ken, or I'm sorry, Justin Bieber, yeah. come out on stage and do the little, hey, look at this, haha. It's a robot, and I'm Justin Bieber, and... I'll, I'll take my check now. Yeah, and it's funny because that booth was brought up several times because prior to D- Justin coming out to do the announcement the first two days, all they had were disinterested women dancing around and right. very little. Just because. And it's, I didn't even know the booth existed until that controversy. So kind of what they always say, you know, whatever recognition or advertising, it works. Their name got out y- there. You know, that's a brilliant idea. What dancing having, on our shows? No, having a robot introduce a robot. Hey! What you did there. I, I saw see, it. Yes, indeed. <sighs> Bieberbot 9000. Hey, he pumps out auto tune. Baby, baby. Yeah. Beady, beady, beat. Yeah. <laughs> beady, beady, beat. Yeah. You, you heard it here first. Justin Bieber is tweaky. He's tweaky. Beady, beady, beat. Yeah. Screw you, Buck. <laughs> Can I stop being a pop idol book? No. <laughs> Wil- Wilma <laughs> no, needs- no, Tweaky, I'm not done with Colonel Deering yet. Go away. Wilma needs a new set of tights. So, Joel, you have been following uh, coverage from This Week in Tech and such. What uh, what piques your interest about the, really, the not all that hugely exciting announcements that have come out of CES this year? This seems to have been... What we described as an odd-numbered, like an odd-numbered Trek film. This is the yeah, it's kind of there. It fills the space, but there's there's no Khan uh, Union Sun to uh, write home about this this year. Well, the things that I seem um, popping up that had me excited were um, some of the smaller devices. Um, I heard a lot about um, little um, dongles, USB dongles or uh, HDMI dongles for televisions uh, and. Mo- uh, cable signals and television signals. I uh, heard a lot about um, some really cool uh, small cameras. H- HD, 1080p. They're about the size of your th- two of your thumbs put together. Uh, meant to be strapped on uh, helmets and, and stuff for like snowboarding and skydiving and, and stuff like that. But there would be uses for them as well. Uh, and the other thing... Um, but I really felt like the, the way that, that TVs are going was the big story for me, which I know was kind of the big story every year at CES, but I really, with 4K, 8K, and the big thing is um, 
mobile device and, and, and apps on television, internet-enabled televisions. Those were the things that um, I, I found the most interesting. But watching everything from home in a stream, of course, you don't get the experience because you're watching a video of a 4K TV on a 320 video stream or whatever on on uh, on Twit or, or on uh, my, my phone, which is even smaller. So um, I wanted to ask you guys, did you get a chance? Or are they as, price aside, are they as impressive as, as they say? Oh, you take price out of the equation and they are the holiest thing ever. Uh, you look at some of the OLED TVs that Samsung was demoing. And they're they are jaw droppingly gorgeous. I mean, oh, they're bright, and you can just, see them from just every looking at angle. the picture quality. You're like, holy crap! And then you turn sideways, and you see that this thing is seven millimeters thick and weighs fifteen pounds, and yeah. it's a fifty-five inch television. And then your mind starts to kind of you know catch on itself, trying to understand all of that. Yeah, a wizard did it, obviously. <laughs> No, it's uh, I can save the two ninety nine that it costs to have the team from Best Buy come out and find the studs in my wall. Yeah, and I can yeah put like a velcro velcro strip on the back and yeah, just a little go double stick tape on the wall. There you yeah. go, which looks amazing. No, I, I actually had a lot of time that I got to peruse most of the different manufacturers for televisions, and seeing the four K sets in person is really nice. The LG booth where they have the two 84-inch screens showing 4K content. Or at least they had... I don't know if the content was truly 4K because it was the same video loop they had going amongst all their 3D sets. And they were set up in 3D, which was real nice. But the beautiful thing there is it was at least showing full 1080p per eye because LG uh, LG does the passive lens technology. So that was gorgeous. And then I also got to walk through the Sharp booth and see their... 8K set that they had out on the side, which is completely a tech demo. Let's see how big I can make it. The R&D department got it working you know, the day before the show. Very for likely. For the love of God, don't bump it. But, oh, it, it was it was embedded into the wall. Yeah. So there, you couldn't see behind it. You couldn't see what was running it. it but you could, you just could see, see the, the resultant image. And Gnomes, demons, and Satan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There was a ritual ha- taking place back there involving incense, a pentagram, and a goat. Yes. <laughs> but no, those sets were... All the 4K sets were very good looking, and several companies were showing off kind of closed demo loops in a theater style, to, and I don't know if they had any projectors showing it, but they did have a lot of televisions. The 8K set was kind of mind-boggling because it was like watching movie, moving pictures, literally. They said the equivalent like of you're looking a throughput... Out a window was 33 megapixel images from a digital SLR, but being shown at 60 frames per second. Yeah. So if you can just imagine seeing a cityscape, and then you notice, oh, by the way, those you know vehicles on the road are moving. And it's, it's like really looking at the city, but without the uh, scent of urine. <laughs> so no, I mean, the- it, it starts to it starts to lead the imagination into um, some of the sci-fi movies that we've seen. And they'll change their view, and really, they're in a box. There are no windows. You know, there are, the, the fresh air is, you know, quote unquote, piped in from outside or artificial. Depending on what their mood is, if they want to look at a beach, they can look at the beach. If they want to look at the cityscape, they can do that. And with an 8K resolution, you know, like down the line, that's totally possible. So, with things getting thinner, do you guys see um, this kind of technology also being applied to like home computer? 
thought that was circling around the net earlier this summer, but it was basically like the future of, of home computing where there's kids on a tablet and they, they swipe the image, uh, the video call onto the kitchen counter, and then the, the dad takes it off the kitchen counter and puts it on his phone and walks away, and everything's just kind of on glass. Do you think that these four millimeter um, displays are going to start working themselves into um, and, and uh, home devices as opposed to TVs? Are they going to oh, be yeah. touchscreen, do you think? No, a big a big presence at the show was Corning with Gorilla Glass 2.0, which is their incredibly durable touchscreen glass surface that makes these things uh, not fragile things you need to be afraid of. And I think the video you're thinking of is Corning was produced by Corning called a Day of the a Day of Glass, where yes, it, and it's a great promo near future speculative video. And things are absolutely heading that direction. We actually awarded our first ever versus the world major corporation without their head up their ass award to Panasonic for demoing the wireless connection system for having a tablet and phone and various other devices interact over regular standard Wi-Fi in your home for doing exactly that, flipping your video up onto the TV screen, moving your web, your web browser up to the TV screen. And with version two of their product that they were demoing, which is going to ship in a few months, a little firmware upgrade to the TV, it's now completely platform agnostic. Previously, you had to buy the Panasonic Tough Tablet, which was their Android tablet, and only it would work. The new version is iPad, any iOS device, any Android device, and any uh, RIM BlackBerry device will work beautifully with this. And finally, someone gets it. Rather than trying to get us to buy all your crap at once, which nobody will do because almost nobody buys their entire entertainment center or upgrades their entire entertainment center at the same time, simply get us to buy your TV, and it will work with all the stuff we already own. Hallelujah. Preach it from the rooftops, brother. Here, here. Everyone should be doing this. So huzzah to Panasonic. There may have been others that are doing it. Intel had kind of a tech demo of the same idea where they were demoing uh, a Windows phone, an iPad, and their television inter- integration Wi-Fi kit for direct transfer. But the, the dream of just having people get, kind of come together in your house with their various uh, smart devices and everyone being able to share the big real estate of the big screen pretty damn easily and seamlessly was there in full force at CES, and you should start seeing that be an expectation of your large screen, high-definition device in the not-too-distant future. Well, um, the the app TVs and, and the um, mobile control with Apple and Android devices uh, that I saw a lot from was LG. So you guys say that you gave an award to Panasonic. How did LG stack? LG didn't have with, a demo uh, that, we, that we saw of this the kind of interoperability with multiple platforms. Um, they their they, big they had their the- own implementation where they were doing some things with Android, but a lot of it being their built-in applications right. and things like that, which, at least from my perspective, I was not as much a fan of across the board. And a big it's, part it's a closed of that, ecosystem. Well, not even just a closed ecosystem. It's a big part of it is none of those TV manufacturers have figured out a good UI. The interface is a lot is very chunky and painful compared to what you're used to with a nice nice touch interface off of your tablet, off of your smartphone, things of that nature. Yeah. And so, 
it, it seems like you're almost stepping back a little bit in technology. It, it does feel that way. I've already used a lot of those kinds of applications through my Xbox or through my PlayStation 3. Right. Or, heaven forbid, if I've built a media PC, yeah. that going to a built-in Samsung or LG or Sharp or whomever app, you know, smart TV... Mm-hmm. Felt like I had just oh. lost something. Perusing, perusing YouTube on a smart TV right now is it's, painful. Oh, it's the worst thing ever. Even uh, utterly, utterly painful. Even with the remotes they now provide that have keyboards on them, it's just it's so slow. Mm-hmm. The interface isn't to the definition of the television, and because I'm used to viewing that kind of content on a computer, it it, it feels like my hands have been tied and I have to use just my thumbs. Yeah. So something needs to change there. I mean, I saw. Over in the Sony booth, a Sony Blu-ray player with integrated Google TV. Now, if you recall from last year, Google TV was the big buzzword last year. It was everywhere, yep. and you had to struggle to find any representation of it this year. Well, part of the problem is Google 1.0 for a TV. It's, it, it was exactly what we were just describing, a painful interface yes. that didn't do a lot. And quietly, in the intervening year, they've released significant upgrades yes. and updates to Google TV. And that interface, too little, too late was gorgeous. Well, and something that we might see in if more manufacturers start to start to try to take advantage of that because again, that's something I would like to see is that I don't want Samsung to provide the interface for apps. I want them to provide the television itself and do the best television they can and then go leverage a company that's been doing it. Go go to your Google, go to even what we saw was or what I saw with Ubuntu TV and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or Boxy, or any of the ones who've provided, this is what we do. We provide a good interface for stuff that other people make. And leverage that. Yeah. That just makes so much more sense to me. Well, that, that's what Google would like people to do. I mean, that's part of their business plan for Google TV is we want they wanted everybody to get on board and just start integrating Google TV into their devices. They just... They did drop the ball initially. Yeah, it, was, it was, I mean, they, Logitech stepped away from them with uh, extreme prejudice yeah. Um, just because it, it wasn't quite ready for prime time. They forgot that the, the pretty interface needs to lead to content, um, and they didn't even have the pretty interface at that point. So it, it, may, it may stage a return. So all of the, the, the ideas are all there. The, the app store for a television idea is there in various forms. Um, the, the thing you have to hope they overcome is this drive that all the companies have to, to try and keep it all to themselves. So we're going to build our own private app store, and it'll be full of all kinds of stuff. And what they forget is the consumer base is, is justifiably jaded. Because we all look at that and we say, yeah, that'll be closed down in three years, and it'll be completely useless. So, right, instead of, your buy, instead of buying your TV with the awesome Samsung app store, I'll just wait. And see whose app store survives Survives. out of this big brouhaha. And then the price of TVs will have gone through two annual iterations of price droppage. Plus, I know who won the the standard battle. Right. Um, Looking at you, HD DVD. Um, (laughs) and And then I'll know what to buy. At that point, and then I can go buy their TV and it's a be self-fulfilling much prophecy more because the app store never catches on because nobody buys the product, so they kill the app store, which makes right. people not want to buy their product, so the app store dies. And yes, 
Um, I would think where... I would think the thing to look for would be the people that end up licensing uh, not so much in the Apple App Store because I mean obviously Apple would never allow that, but to find out which TVs are going to have the most access to different mobile devices and their version of AirPlay. So yes. Apple you know, iOS AirPlay. Uh, Android, whatever their version of AirPlay is, Windows Phone, whatever their version is. And if you've got a TV out there that will accept any of those three mobile devices, whether it's a tablet or a, or a phone, you can do exactly what I was doing uh, all week, which was uh, my Apple TV is great for um, downloading podcasts and watching YouTube after things are already uploaded. But if I want to watch live streaming content, I had to do it on either my computer or my phone. Well, my iPhone sends it up to my television and I, I have to say, like, I was pretty impressed. Uh, the, it didn't kill the battery on the phone. I could put the phone to sleep on my coffee table. And all I mean, I'm assuming all it's doing is just relaying a link up to the television. And it looked great. There was a, a little bit of lag, but I don't think it was my device. I think it was actually the feed coming from CES that was a, a little bit chunky at times. But it was great. And if any TV, it would be so worth their while to pay the money to Apple, Google, <laughs> And, and Microsoft to license those three capabilities, and then they don't have to worry about their app store because whatever apps you have in your phone, if that app has got AirPlay capability, bang, done, on your big screen, you know? And that's, that's what we saw Panasonic doing, exactly what you just described, is it was platform agnostic. It didn't care where the source was. It would take the video and give it to you. So that's why they caught our attention, is you know, we, we saw right. a lot of demos of here's the LG device sending video to the LG TV. Here's the oh, Sony yes. device sending to the Sony TV. Panasonic was, bring your stuff here and we'll show it on our TV. We're like, oh. They're the only ones who figured out oh, that the thing cool. they do best is make TVs. Right. They don't make apps. They make televisions. They should do what Let they're good at. other people make the apps. And you're here. That's Mark. exactly you, you what will, we want to see. You guys will have to forgive me if I do that. If I break the podcasting rule of repeating what you just said, I, uh, <laughs> I'm missing a little bit uh, of chunks here and there because of the lag. So if, if I if I sound like a broken record to anybody if they're listening, I apologize. We're going to blame Las Vegas Internet on uh, on the problem. So, well, I, I mean, that, that's a that's a huge uh, chunk of, um, of TV break today or are we going to just plow right through the whole thing oh i say we just plow but i see something on on the uh, notes here that you put here the uh maker bot replicator that was a yes that was my tech. next I, I i was anxious to talk to you guys about that so um if we don't have a music break we can just dive right into that because i saw on twit they did a triangulation dude um thing there he was showing it off and uh i mean video was one but i mean you guys were there did you get a chance to go to the makerbot booth because if you did tell all wayne i believe was our representative that actually made it over to see the replicator i did and what were your impressions actually describe what it does so, so i already knew about the product prior i follow the maker world although i don't myself participate and it's funny because I used to watch the podcast, and I forget the name of the individual who does the MakerBot replicator. But I followed when he first came out with the original MakerBot and was still making kits for people to go make before he decided to come out with, it's like, wow, these are selling like hotcakes. I probably should do this as a business. And therefore kind of stopped doing the podcasting. Uh, it's fun because he was there at the booth, and I recognized it was like, hey, got You're a picture that guy. of him. Yep. But the replicator and what this does for people, and I'm going to reach across the table to see the leftover pamphlet. Yeah. Yes. It is a, a extruder that allows you to print three-dimensional objects in real life. 
What it does is it uses spindles of plastic wire. AB, uh, I think it's what? ABS, ABS plastic. plastic. The it's same thing that's used. Stuff. Yeah, same stuff that's used in Legos pretty much. And it, it prints it by moving a platform around below a nozzle that heats the plastic and moves around as it needs to to create whatever 3D image is being fed to it. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, the new uh, replicator is a much larger version than prior ones. It can make practical things and toys up to 8.9 inches by 5.7 inches by 5.9 inches. And the key there is you can print up pretty much anything. And as it's, long as you can it, design it in a computer. Yes, as long as it's designed in a computer. And I didn't get to ask specifics about what formats the printing of it can take in. But I know a lot of their models were created in 3D Studio Max, in Maya, in some of the pretty much all the major 3D applications out there. And they were they had oh a slew of these bots set up. I would say at least eight of them set up around their booth, all just constantly printing, churning stuff out for for demo. Yeah, and so they had printed things like a chess set, where they're doing all the individual pieces of a chess set. They had made little dolls. They had made. Some really impressive pieces because you can, while that's the limit of building individual pieces, you can design something much larger and build it in different little jigsaw kind of components and then assemble it once they're created. Yeah, because there's certain geometries that the 3D printers can. The format you're talking about is uh, STL format, and it's kind of a standard 3D. uh, It's called stereo lithography, and it's a standard uh, option that... Most, uh, if not all, uh, 3D programs worth using will export. Um, so, like Maya's native, and import that file format. Yeah. So that and that's what's cool about that is because it doesn't even just have to be 3D products you created yourself. It can be models that you've leveraged from other things. I thought about it initially. That, <clears throat> excuse me. That because there is now a program to export the 3D models from Skyrim, <laughs> how easy it would be nice. to take my own avatar, my character in the game, and build it into yeah. some little object. Well, I mean, for that's myself. what Figure Prints has been doing for years now over on the World of Warcraft side, is they leveraged the 3D printing technology. What they brought to the table was having them begin print in full color um, and durably enough to be your static action figure. Of your avatar from the game, um, and they used an, an earlier version of the, the 3D printer to achieve that. And I've got a pair of those figure prints at home from BlizzCon's gone by, um, and I, being able to do that yourself is a whole other interesting wrinkle. Which is the, the goal of the this corner of the maker movement is they want everybody to have a large one of these in their basement that has a variety of materials available as sources, and then you simply go out to the Internet, to the great open-source marketplace, and download the patterns from for whatever you want. Oh, yes. Stick it in the machine, press the button, and then you have the thing. And you can either go with the open-source, make your own, or purchase one from a major manufacturer. But all the actual creation happens in the home a decentralized self-manufacture and that's one of the big things that a replicator allows you to do is it is one of the more 
or one of the less expensive versions of a 3D printer that you can acquire out today. Yeah, because previously with they, they, they the high quality. Expensive. Yeah, and it has a it, you can get it with multiple extruders on it so that you can have more than one color being fed at the same time into an object. You can buy different color reels of the plastic. Uh, the plastic's paintable. You can also uh, sand it down because there is a limit to the resolution of the object you're building. It, it is pretty fine, but once you really get into detail on it and look at it, it's got little ridges going throughout, but those are very easily sanded down to make smooth objects as well. So this is one of those tools that can be used for quick prototyping for companies. Yeah, um, It's a way to produce your own objects if you wanted to do some level of as you were saying, manufacturing for toys or just your own creativity, artwork, things like that. There's just a ton you can do with it. And while I say inexpensive, it's not just your weekend hobby. It's still a $2,000 box to do it. But once you've invested in that, they will sell you all the parts to remake it if ever anything goes wrong. It's totally module, and it's basically one of the friendliest ones of these available on the market today. Bring it on, is all I have to say. Yeah, the um, the uh, community that you guys were talking about is uh, Thingiverse, and that's uh, Thingiverse.com, and that's the, the place where all the people that are using these 3D printers are sharing their designs and sharing the techniques that they use to make these things. Now, you mentioned in the uh, notes one of our particular favorite uh, <coughs> booths that we attended. Uh, you put in the notes, I'm a Blue Audio fan, and you've had a Yeti for almost two years now, therefore we hate you. Uh, <laughs> we did get to visit our friends over at Blue Audio who desperately need to sponsor our shows and provide us with demo equipment so we can talk even more about their fine products. Oh, yes. To our vast listener base. And awesome. And they are vast and awesome. Yes. And they will, they will buy, buy blue podcasting microphones hand over fist every day of the week for two solid years. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, yeah, that's it. We said it. It's true. We said it on the internet. And uh, therefore, it must be true. And we'll live forever. We said, it, we said it twice. On the internet, it is therefore true. Sweet. So, All right, Blue, hook us up. Yeah, bring us, bring us our sponsorship check right now. But no, they, <laughs> Blue uh, was very early to the podcasting train as far as building PC-compatible, high-quality condenser mics with an eye towards people wanting to do computer-based audio in whatever form. And they've kind of made their strength the your first step out of baby you know, headset-based podcasting into either a direct USB interface, single microphone into a single computer, or more and more, they also make the versions that have USB and additionally have the audio industry standard of many decades, the XLR balanced output, to plug into a good old-fashioned mixing desk, which is what we are doing here to support our three microphones. So all that hooked up to internal uh, integrated circuitry. So they're still doing a lot of the audio processing that they do for their USB versions before they send the audio out through the standard analog output all hooked up to a very nice, high-quality microphone input. So many of the people involved with Versus the World, um, looking at you, Ken, and as it turns out, Ursa Heel also has obtained himself oh? a Yeti. And our very own man from Canada, Joel Duggan, is talking to us right now on a Blue Microphones Yeti. Are you not? I am. Uh, the, the only thing, I mean, they're great. I, have the, I don't have the Pro. I just have the regular USB version. Um, I find that it's a, it's a great... 
condenser slash directional mic for, for podcasting. Um, but the audio quality does vary quite a bit when you start to use the other modes. It's handy that you have those other modes in case you happen to do an interview where you're in person with somebody uh, or you want to capture um, a larger um, scope of audio like when I'm streaming from my drawing desk. Uh, I switch it to stereo. Uh, so it, I don't have to be quite as close to the mic. Um, but I do find that it's a little bit harder to control um, the quality of the audio sometimes. So uh, I do mostly use it as a, as a straight-up podcasting mic. Um, but what I'm curious about is, as the, um, the, as the peripherals from Blue, uh, I guess, advance, uh, I know that they have uh, capability now with some of their new mics. And again, forgive me if I'm repeating something that you guys have, have said already, but being able to hook it into uh, the iPad or iPhone uh, to be able to record ah, the garage yes. The Spark Digital, which was their primary uh, <coughs> new product rollout. So they took the Spark, which was their um, canister style uh, design that they rolled out last year with the, uh, uh, the hinged uh, looks kind of old school-ish. Yeah. Welcome to WENN um, style mount for the condenser. And the interface they put on it is actually now an HDMI port. And they give you a pair of cables. One that goes to a regular USB port on USB device of your choice. The other one goes to the Apple dock connector and it currently supports the iPad. Um, one would hope iPod Touch and iPhone will be supported in the future, but the only one that they said for sure works right now is uh, support for the iPad. And so it's their standard mid-range, good quality uh, microphone. Now, with instead of a USB port, only USB port, they have the HDMI USB combo meal, and they provide you the cables for the iOS device and computer. <coughs> and it is every bit as sexy as you would think it would be. There has been podcasting, shoutcasting software for the iPad available for some time. Oh, yeah. It's just been lacking a decent microphone solution. Mm. With this, you could, you know, we could have been wandering around the con with an iPad tucked under our arm and a microphone in our hand and been st streaming live. Haha, <laughs> yeah, like there's enough bandwidth to be had yeah. at CES for that. Not but unless, yeah. While I'm dreaming, I'd like a pony. Um,. But in theory, you could be streaming live and recording to a local MP3 file because the software out there is as deluxe as the Sam Broadcaster software we use. It's just there was no way to get decent audio into the device for an affordable price. There were options that were heinously expensive. This one is attainable, not cheap. You know, Blue is, is not cheap. They're definitely your first step into the land of I am investing money into my hobby, but they are not... $2,000 for an adapter cable expensive, which you, you can attain that level if you're completely out of your mind or have money, more money than God. Yeah. Well, but, and the, the, the price point on the Yeti is uh, $149. For the Yeti and then 249 for the Yeti Pro. Mike is uh, $199. So where does this new um, iPad-capable mic fall? I believe it was 299 I want to say. I don't point. remember. No, I didn't think it was that expensive. Okay, maybe. I thought what they did is oh, I, no, I thought thinking, they, I thought they reduced. Product. I thought they reduced the price of the original. Yeah, they dropped the price to one seventy nine or something. The digital was now the one ninety nine. Right. You, what Wayne said. Okay. Cool. So yeah, it's basically it will be replacing the Spark in their line. So for the remaining stock of the of the original Spark, they'll they'll discount it, and then this will be the new two hundred dollar price point, multi compatible. Uh, 
get your podcasting uh, greatness. Here. Yes. Well, it's something that I also asked them because once you throw on a 30-pin connector, uh, they said it's right now for the iPad, but I pressed to see if there was any possibility they would allow it for the iPhone as well slash iPod Touch since they're pretty much the same exact hardware. They just have a smaller form factor, and they said they weren't ruling out of the possibility. But at the moment, that's not the case. We have no products to announce at this time. Yeah. It's like tap dance, tap dance, tap dance. A non-confirmation confirmation, or yeah. not like a non-denial denial. Yes. So there's hope. I think we've shoved Joel off the tubes again. Don't. No, I'm here. I'm just trying to process. I get bits of conversation. And I have. It takes a minute in my head to say, that sounded like this word, and this sounded like that word, and I think they just threw <laughs> it to me. Damn it. Um, well, one of the, you know, that's, that's great for, for mics and stuff like that. And that's, that's good for blue cause we're all, we're all fans, but what, what about podcasting other microphones, uh, software companies, uh, any kind of like services or server, uh, based, uh, help the, the world of podcasting, mixing boards, anything like that? I mean, there were standard audio companies there demoing good old fashioned analog mixing boards. No innovations jumped out. I mean, podcasting was not a major topic of conversation. Netcasting wasn't a big deal. You did mention earlier the wearable streaming high-definition cameras. We did see several uh, examples of those. They're still spending. They're still in the $800 price range for some of the better ones that we were seeing. So it's attainable. Well, it's, it's an investment. The, the ones that I was seeing were under 200 bucks. Okay. Well, a lot of them were. A lot of companies are basically all trying to be GoPro now. Because they have seen the success of the wearable high-def camera and how a lot of people are using them for catching activities in sports, uh, things they're doing themselves, in places that we normally couldn't easily get one camera, let alone multiple cameras. And so almost every... I can't say every. There were, there were a lot of companies. I saw at least four or five different major companies that were providing some kind of bullet camera something that was durable. I mean, the booth we stopped at with the gentleman who was showing the fire-resistant yeah. camera and things like that. Hardened for firemen. Yeah, and so they have ones that were designed for police use, for you know more rugged outdoor use, underwater use, things like that. There's a lot of that out there now. It'll be interesting to see if any of these other companies can catch on, really, since GoPro has taken such a large share of the market. First they, to market. Yeah, and they don't necessarily have the best product but they definitely got out there, and they were showing some more of like their 3D support rigs and stuff like that where you can use two GoPros and how it syncs them on their own so that you can create 3D live video. Um, yeah, and that was the other thing that was really cool about uh, the GoPro, um, which is the brand that, that I saw the most uh, press on, is that with a little attachment that goes to the back of the camera, you can sync these cameras via Wi-Fi. So if you happen to be you know, doing a mobile TV broadcast or doing uh, a shot where you're talking to, like say you're at the Olympics and you're covering some athletic stuff and you want to have a shot of your interviewer, you want to have a shot of the person that you're interviewing, and then you want to have a wide shot of everything. You can little $200 GoPro cameras set up, and you can have somebody say uh, anything enabled, just basically switching cameras and switching shots uh, and the feeds via Wi-Fi. And it just, you know, you, you tape one to a, a pole. 
somebody, and then you have the other one static on a tripod somewhere close to the to the interview, and it just it seemed like a really really neat idea. Uh, the other one that I was of was I believe from Liquid Image. I might have the the name wrong, but it was the same sort of idea, and it was $150, uh, and it had a standard uh, three quarter mount on the bottom of it, so it'll mount to any tripod, uh, including like those Gorilla Pods that you can basically put anywhere. Uh, the only thing that I, I, I wasn't clear on these um, these cameras, but they all feel like they're pretty wide angle. Like I don't think you can adjust the zoom or anything like that on them. They don't I, they don't seem like they the have only that. the only adjustments I've ever seen in them were all digital. So the, uh, there's no adjustable optics on any of them that I ran into. The only thing I had seen is on the GoPro. I know they had a, re- a standard lens kind of thing, and then a specifically wide angle lens. But that was something where you could put on a couple of them just that stock lens, but you can't change it other than via hardware. Right, actually unscrewing and rescrewing. Yeah, and none the of field. them had like a telephoto thing or anything like that that I've seen yet. They were all, everything I've seen was all digital post-processing, so with all the artifacting and problems attendant to that. It's kind of a limitation of the, the really tiny form factor they're going for is if you're going to make interchangeable lenses, the level of precision you need to manufacture them to drives the price through the roof and drives the durability down. So it, it flies in the face of what they're trying to achieve, which is simple camera that you stick on your helmet that just works. And it's just a matter of if, if to give that interchangeable optics would make it not no, it would no longer serve those masters. So no, no yeah, nobody okay. had come to market with anything like that that we saw. Right. Yeah, one of the things that popped into my mind when I was watching the Twit coverage of them was um, my friend Peyton Francis that does stop motion animation, and he's always looking for actually do some quality stuff. And I mean, things like the MakerBot 3D printer and uh, you know little tiny cameras that he can set up in a corner of his basement and essentially create a stop motion set for under um, you know five thousand dollars. You know, all grand uh, all healing sort of thing when you think about how far the home uh, capabilities have come with these consumer electronics it's really interesting because having worked in tv and knowing how expensive some of these crazy cameras are and computers and software that do uh, 3d things it's just it's it's really kind of cool to see it just grab it is migrating downward um and that's part of the beauty of, of coming to the ces is you do see this iteration of when the new things come in at the high end, they bump the uh, attendant products down towards the lower end, and the consumer with the limited budget, like us, gets closer and closer to something we may have lusted after two years ago is now, hey, that's completely attainable. Yeah, great, there's a new high end, but I can still have the one that is way better than what I've got now. So that's, that's part of what we look for when we, uh, we do... CES at all is to see what's coming down the pike and what has been bumped towards us one extra step. So let's take this moment to beat Skype about the head and neck with a blunt instrument, and we will take a break. I have a little uh, Skull Crusher Mountain queued up for you guys. You are listening to Alpha Geek Friday's special Vegas Baby Edition, coming to you from the vast broadcast cathedral of the Vegas House, Consumer Electronics Show 2012, joined with... Special guests, Wayne and Todd Prime. We shall return right after this. (laughs) 
versus the world productions podcasts and blogs by geeks for geeks www.vtwproductions.com
Code monkey, get up, get coffee. Code monkey, go to job. Code monkey, have boring meeting with boring manager Rob. Rob say code monkey, very diligent, but his output stinks. His code not functional or elegant. What do code monkey think? Code monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself. Code monkey not say it out loud. Code monkey not crazy, just proud. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey like Tabitha Mountain Dew. Code monkey very simple man with big warm fuzzy secret parts. Code monkey like. Monkey have long walk back to cubicle. He sit down, pretend to work. Good monkey not thinking so straight. Good monkey not feeling so great. Good monkey like Fritos. Good monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Good monkey very simple man. Big warm fuzzy secret heart. Good monkey like you. Monkey thinks someday he have everything, even pretty girl like you. Good monkey just waiting for now. Good monkey says someday, somehow. Good monkey like Fritos. Good monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Good monkey very simple man. Big warm fuzzy secret heart. Good monkey like you. Hello, this is John Scalzi, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. Versus the World Productions. Nerds on the Internet. What more could you ask for? www.vtwproductions.com And welcome back to this fine Friday morning episode of Alpha Geek Fridays with special guest Todd Prime. And Wayne from Show X. X, 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 X. Available at www.vtwproductions.com under the Shows tab. Check out all the fine shows there. You will be glad that you did. So saith the Todds. Yes. So it was said and so it was done. What planet are you from? <laughs> if, you <laughs> if you don't know why I'm laughing... Uh, as soon as I finished getting it uploaded, because I had finished the edit on last night's episode ah, yes. of the special CES coverage, 
um, but didn't want it uploading during the show because, as you may have noticed, our, we have Skype challenges yeah. enough, even without Todd Prime looking at girls in bathrobes, live streaming video. Hey, I'm not doing it now. I know. I know. Okay. Uh, I didn't want a, a large upload to the FTP server going while we were broadcasting. So shortly yes. after this show, you should be able to go to the Alpha Geek section of VTWProductions.com and get the day three coverage in which you get to uh, oh, you get our, our rendition of Mace Windu meets Pulp Fiction. It's going to happen. <laughs> Basic mother. Do the, you speak it? Yeah, the, the premise was what if Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu was actually Samuel L. Jackson in every other movie that he's ever done. This is true. Yes. And it so morphed into this uh, Pulp Fiction-y sort of Mace Windu interrogating somebody. Palpatine, probably, I would think. Probably Palpatine. Um, what does Darth Plagueis the Lies yes, look like? Exactly. Um, in the style of Pitt from the opening sort of thing of... Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Oh, yes. Moving on. Epic. <laughs> um... So we have uh, done some magic mojo here by way of resetting internet connections and hoping to sacrifice a live chicken to the Skype gods here to... Uh, trying to use all new and shiny bits. Yes. We've retired the old used bits, and we opened a new package and poured in some shiny unused bits, and we're sending them towards Canada now. Joel Duggan, can you hear us? I can hear you. Excellent. We can hear you in return. May it remain that way. All right, where were we in Das show notes before we went for our lovely Jonathan? Well, Cohen I was just about, I was just about to ask you guys about uh, your your picks. Like, what were the what were the standouts? You're afraid to pick one uh, one thing from CES. What's what's your top pick? And we'll start mm. where start with you, Mister Ta- Other Todd. Other Todd, Ooh, I, I am honored. You are now Other Todd the first. I am Other Todd the Prime. Wait a second. Watch yourself. I am hot on your heels. <laughs> Proper Todd, wait your turn. Yes, sir. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Um, I mean, as far as the, the problem I'm coming away from this is, with is there were no earth-shattering announcements. There were no, I was at the con where they announced this thing. So this definitely was an odd-numbered Star Trek film year, as we've observed before. However, the one that keeps jumping in my mind is the brutal sensibleness of Panasonic with their all-inclusive, buy our big screen, and it will work with all your various portable devices out of the box, and the fact that they have built a sensible, upgradable infrastructure. Because the problem with all these built-in technologies is you look back at the evolution of devices and... What is the ridiculously fast turnaround on something like a smartphone? I mean, we are replacing these things way faster than is probably strictly necessary in order to partially support the industry, which is addicted to this replacement cycle. Mm -hmm. Just ask Microsoft and their addiction to, you got to buy our new version because it's our business model, even though there's no new features. Right. We've built our empire on the fact that we got to sell a new version every other year. Um the fact that they've built in you know, a flashable firmware that for the next several iterations of whatever their product is, you'll just upgrade it and you don't have to buy a new set. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking forward, upgradability, all-inclusive of all the platforms, because I want, I mean, I've, I've been resisting 
buying an Apple TV because I want AirPlay. AirPlay is a great technology. AirPlay is Apple's version of this where if you have an iOS device on the same Wi-Fi as your Apple TV hockey puck, you can just redirect from many, many, if not most, media-related apps on iOS devices support AirPlay. Um, you can just redirect the output through your home stereo and through mm. your home television mm-hmm. with the tap of a button. I want. I mean, that that's precisely everything. what I did all week, yeah. Yeah. You keep doing that, you're going to go blind. Um, <laughs> especially if you're doing... I mean, are you airplaying alone? Oh, no. Joel. No, no, no. That's the um, first well, one, one of the One of the recent developments I, I have, too, is that um, a lot of streaming... Streaming services a la Netflix and Hulu and such? Oh, no, we broke the tubes again. But yes. So, really, I keep coming back to... Um, you know, Panasonic saying, "Let's all do this together. We don't care who made your other device." So, from in my in my book, they win. Mm. Todd Prime, what stands out in your mind from your visit to? I'm going to go with a device that is not ready today, but in four or five years, will be the product that you will have to have, which was the Sony. VR visor helmet of doom where the aperture is not quite right to see from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen. And it is a personal home theater helmet. It is a little, yes, the personal home theater helmet. It is a little heavy on the front end and you are constrained by the fact that it's wired, but you know, version three of this helmet or version 4 of this helmet, should be really, really, really awesome. Yeah, it's to pr- the point it's where, brushing up against awesome now. But yeah, to the point where I can take my 150-inch you know, television at 12 feet, or whatever the optimal viewing is for the size of the screen, and go anywhere in my house with it, and be able to watch media in any dark room, and have the high-def... 3D, 3D experience. Great audio right in your ears experience. Yes. Yeah, so picture you know, any virtual reality immersion helmet from any dystopian near future film of your choosing. And that's basically what this was, yeah. done, done up in Apple iDevice White. Yes. Um, and it was this basic helmet that sat over your eyes and gave you a personal wrap around your head home theater. Yep. We waited in line to experience it and had the same kind of complaints about it of it's... It's so almost. And it, you think, okay, that was a yes. short demo. If that was sitting on my head for two, three hours, that would get No, that would be heavy. uncomfortable. I agree. But as a version one... Right. It's fantastic. It's not bad. It's, it's, a, it's a good device. Version two will be a better device. Version three will be... Even, Gotta have it. It will be even better and to the point where, you know, what is a really a, a no-buy decision now at $800 would become a, oh, yes, I can buy that at $800 or, or less. So you, the price may drop, too. Yeah, um, kind of as, as time goes on, right? So I'm going to have to go with the Sony helmet, I think. Wayne? Wayne. Cool. Well, for me, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of cool things there. And like we said, not, the things that stood out was kind of lower on the list. Uh, I want to give at least a nod to LG for, again, saying they're – for them having the best view at CES, they just they know how to wow you with their whole overall presentation, their display. They did a really good job with that. Uh, a nod to Toby 
T-O-B-I-I for showing a eye-tracking device for PCs that, while is very early in development, could go some amazing places with the way they're trying to implement it. And it's it's, it's the previous iterations of this kind of technology required you to wear headgear, and this is just... It's a visual bar, basically. It's 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 cameras, yeah. And that's kind of neat, but the, the technology that I really think stands out to me as the biggest thing I saw at CES this year has to be the standard from Intel for the Ultrabooks. Oh, Oh, yeah. That was one I didn't expect to be impressed by. I'm like, oh, yay, great, a new notebook standard, an arbitrary standard and a fancy name with the word Ultra in it. Whoopee. And then we walked in. And we looked at them. And they hand you one. They say, hi, welcome to the Intel Pavilion. Have you seen the Ultrabook? Here you go. Here's a Toshiba Ultra. Holy crap. Yes. Holy ha- holy MacBook Air, Batman. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's it's a whole standard for all anything that wants to use the Ultrabook design. It doesn't have to be right. just PC. It's it could a, be it Apple. It must be this tall to ride it this ride. It won't be Apple, but it could be. And it's one of those things that they, gosh, they got it right. I don't care about changing laptops right now. I have just some old junk ones that I used to take to the studio until yeah. we kind of got me a new home there. That So I've been able to survive so easily off of just my iPhone. I haven't. That's one of the reasons I haven't wanted or even looked at tablets, things like that. But I know I kind of like something portable like this. Seeing the Ultrabooks was the first time I thought, oh, I'm getting me one of these. I got to get me one of these. Because that feels like gap for me because it's a strong enough platform. Being that it can run an i7 chip in something that is less than, what was it, 10 millimeters, because mm-hmm. I think the standard for the Ultrabook by far, or for anything i5 and below was like 7 millimeter thick. 7 millimeters and... Uh, and then they give it up to 3 millimeter extra for an i7. Right. And gaming type of things. And so that, it just, they ran so well because it has, you know, all the connectivity you could want in it. Well, they're all solid state drives and one of the, one of the requirements to bear the Ultrabook brand is it must go from cold start to usable desktop in seven no, seconds. No, that is actually, I double-checked that. That's uh, restore time. Ah! It is. It is restore time. So not a cold boot, but no, not restoring from boot, Hibernate. But, ah, yeah, that's from not Hibernate. A, that's not as impressive. I know. I did ask a gentleman specifically that question because, like, right, right, right. And he's like, oh. No, However, no, no. I did watch one of them go through a full boot cycle, and it still was oh, impressively it's fast. Well, it's solid, it's solid state drive fast. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Yeah. That'll do that. But also the standards for pricing, which was impressive, that Intel is heavy-handedly telling all manufacturers your books must be under $1,000. Yeah. And so to be able to get all that kind of portability performance, and this is a, this is the standard, and they, these the books we saw so far... We're all in this 14-inch type thing or mm-hmm. under 14-inch. But they said they can handle up to like 15 or 17-inch yeah. screens. And that's still fitting in that same standard where they said there may be a couple outliers that go as high as 1,200. But again, Intel is pushing very strongly to say, no, you Sub need 1, to sell these for under $1,000. This needs to be a three-digit price. And so to get something as portable, if not more so, than a MacBook Air, and I'd say more so, that weighs nothing. Because when, when the guy who just handed it to me as a deflection from going back into the meeting rooms by accident <laughs> yeah. um, just gave it to me, it felt like nothing. It was amazing. Is this a mock-up? Is this, is this an empty case? No, sir. That's the real deal. Here, let me show you. And, and it going through it with the Wi-Fi, just how snappy everything was, that they can play games, although that you might not play your latest 
3D game. Yeah, it's not going to be you know crisis cutting edge. Yeah. Level. Although I argued, or I will argue, and I kind of asked the guy, I wonder what performance it can put out through the built-in Sandy Bridge technology, and I'm sure it's really the Ivy Bridge that is pushing. Right. That. I could probably play Crisis on it at reasonable settings. Yeah, not maxed out settings. Which is Humane fine. Setting. If I'm got In this thing In a freaking portable that's... that weighs nothing? Yeah, I'm willing to accept that. Besides, it's not like I'm expecting it to pump out 1080p video on that screen. I don't need it. It's 720 is fine. And if I'm gaming at 8x6, basically, on a widescreen format, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that translates to, okay. I'm still playing all my games. On an airplane while flying yes. to Europe. And yeah. so the Ultrabooks from Intel just, when I really Jumped think about all the different technology I saw, those that's the technology I'm most looking forward to and I think is most applicable to most of our fans and listeners and such just to say that keep an eye out. If you need an ultra-portable device, Apple may not be who you want your to go only, to. At least they're not your only choice anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the fact that it's, there's a standardization across brands now helps as well. Because there have been tiny, tiny portable one-offs from various companies. Now everyone seems to have got on board together. I think what they're looking for is a renaissance of the netbook days where they can't make them fast enough. Right. So, no, these, uh, these Toshibas, like the one that I have, the, mm-hmm. the Toshiba netbooks, when... I think it was last year, holiday season, or maybe the year before at holiday season. Consumer Reports put out their big netbook roundup, netbook roundup issue, and the Toshiba's out outrated all the competitors. You know, um, across the board in every class of netbook for which they had a netbook. A netbook, yeah. They're, you know, they're a third the price, and they're better reliable. And the customer service is better, blah, 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 across the board. So we are going to see, I think, a new era of, hey, by the way, if you're going to go Windows platform, pretty much everybody's netbook, you know, you'll be able to... Ultrabook. Ultrabook, sorry. I think they're trying to address all the shortcomings, all the things that people gripe about netbooks. Oh, it's underpowered. Oh, it's got a tiny screen. Oh, this and that. And now it's, okay, okay, we'll show you what, what we can do with that form factor. And they pulled out the big guns, and mm-hmm. here's your Core i7 with a brushed aluminum case, everything you could possibly ever want. Yes. And it weighs nothing. Yes. And yet, it's durable enough to fend off an attacker. Yes. Did you guys see the, uh, I think it's the Lenovo Yoga? Is that the uh, one that flips around and becomes a tablet? Yes. I saw that one from a distance. The thing that makes me... <sighs> freak out about that is is that a multi OS one where when it's in tablet mode it boots into one OS and when it's in laptop mode it boots into another OS it ah. uh, it it was running windows 8 or will be okay um, or windows that, 8 capable yeah the windows uh, so 8 it was running thing, like that's a that's a huge deal cuz some of the efforts that have been made in the convertible tablets have been hampered yes by the oh we're going to kludge together this custom OS for tablet mode and a real OS in laptop mode Windows 8, tablet, and Windows are yeah. all yeah. one and the same, as yeah. we saw on the actual uh, Windows 8 tablet uh, mock or knockups, the, the developer pre-builds mm-hmm. that they were showing in yeah. the Intel pavilion. So there's hope there. I'm pretty sure. Windows 8, then it's dead sexy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Tom Meredith and uh, Sarah Lane from Twit that were doing the interview. Um, I saw so much stuff this week, it's kind of hard to remember who, who was doing what. But um, when it was in laptop mode, uh, Tom touched the screen, and it was able. He was able to swipe, and he was able to to use the the Windows 8. Uh, what's this? What's the interface called? It's a Metro. Um, 
Metro, that's it. Yeah. So it was. You could have. You could have the option of using it just like a regular Windows, but with one swipe, it goes to the Metro interface, and you can tap the screen if you want, whether you want short, uh, sore shoulders <laughs> or not. Uh, the only thing that wasn't clear to me was um, th- whether or not you could use a stylus on it. Like, is it just your finger? Like, is it? Does it have pressure sensitivity? Because one Most of the things of these... that I know my my artist buddies and I are, are looking for is the ability to draw with pressure on a portable um, tablet PC. The, I mean, they will accept a tablet, but I don't think they're going to have the pressure sensitivity you as an artist are looking for. Then you're looking at a Wacom Cintiq again. Yeah, you're, I yeah. don't think any of those yet have the pressure ones. I did see some display. But the I... Galaxy Note was selling itself as a device for artists, and, and their big promo was they had employed a whole bunch of caricature artists, and they were doing caricatures with a stylus on the Galaxy Note, and then printing them on T-shirts for people. Well, but was that the one? Because I saw some display, and I don't recall if it was attached to a laptop-type form factor or not. But something that I saw someone using a brush on a screen painting That was in, that was in the Intel booth. Was it in the Intel booth? No, they had, in the Intel booth, they had a Windows 8 demo unit. It was like a 23 or 25-inch screen. screen. Oh, it was the all-in-one screen. Right. It was all-in-one computer. That's where that was, yes. But he had a, a program on there, you know, a la Photoshop. But that supported a full range of actual brushes and uh, pen tips, and so he was working directly on the surface, and that was a demonstration of the superior touchscreen working in conjunction with regular artist tools. Mm. So they do exist, but I don't think any of these regular run-of-the-mill tablet devices that you operate with a finger have that extra sensitivity. No, that's I... another category of product t- directly targeted at the artist crowd. And there, there was well, that's, something, and that's the thing, because because um, Peyton has this tablet PC from I don't know, it's probably four years old. He bought it used, and it works great, and it works better than some of the new things that he could buy. Like he tried to buy uh, an Asus uh, tablet uh, before Christmas, and he ended up returning it because it didn't respond. So it just it makes me kind of so surprised that all these uh, tablet PC makers haven't at least thought that hey, you know, there's a whole other market that they could tap into if they just uh, added that pressure sensitivity. Well, and I know there was a device I saw at the con, and and this is one of those ones, again, much like you said, it's difficult to know who said what when you were listening to different feeds. Wandering about the con and seeing random tidbits of information here and there at different booths makes it somewhat difficult to remember who said what about what was interesting. it does bleed together a bit. Um, There was someone who was advertising a display that had at least, I want to say, 126 levels of pressure detection. At like a how how easily or how many variations of pressure it could detect in its touch display, and again I just I don't know where that was, and I, I know it wasn't in the Wacom booth. Well, it wasn't it wasn't one of the big boys. No, it was something. Well, it might have been though, but it could have been on a touch device right. or something like that. But I did see a tip a little bit there that there's at least some touch display interface device, a computer of some sort that is really kind of out there for the artists. I just forget who said it. Yeah. So they exist, but they, I think they're still, all the guys that are making tablets are still in their we-need-to-grab-market-share mode. And they have not got around to attempting to appeal, to appeal to niche markets, such as someone who wants to use it for stylus and in-hand art creation. So the capability is likely there. It just is not high enough on their priority list right now where all they want to do now is design an interface that has a wide appeal so they can move some units. And they'll get around to saying, oh, yeah, and you can also go buy this set of styli and do all kinds of fun stuff in this new art app that we just put out. Not, I did not see any of that stuff there yet. 
And I think we kill Joel again. Do Daniel. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that seems to be the impression that I got too. Is that it's just we're we're in that year in between where there just isn't enough innovation. Yeah, yeah, it's not an evolution or not a revolutionary. See, yes, by any means, slightly evolutionary, because that's one thing with all the 3D at least. Uh, because 3D last year was being thrown at us in every direction, every booth, everything we saw was 3D. This year it was there again, but it wasn't as offensive, because they have made such changes in the way they produce 3D and the way we see it that it's a lot easier to stomach this year and so I wasn't put off by it like I was last year I'm actually thinking I could handle a 3D device in my life even if I didn't turn to it for the sake of 3D mm-hmm. and so we did see a lot of things that were, were slightly evolutionary and are better than they were in the past but nothing that just blew our minds like, oh my god, this must is have, it. Must have, must have, must well, have. This changes everything. That, that's not true. The Lamborghini I was thrown <laughs> out of. <laughs> Sir, please step out of the vehicle. Well, he said it nicely. Yes. But it was, it was nice. It was for, comfortable. For I, I want yes. Do the, the $400,000 Lamborghini. Do want. All right. That, I believe, neatly brings us to a conclusion... Because i got to get packed and get back to Phoenix. Oi, road trip. Booyah. <laughs> yeah. Road trip by yourself. Yay. Something tells me, listeners, if you pay attention closely, you may see a Gnomoise while traveling trying to keep himself entertained by broadcasting. Who knows? It has happened. I've got the uh, Ventrilo app on my Android, uh, which works very nicely when piped through the, uh, the car stereo. Sweet. So I can at least uh, hang out and vent. But there, there is a significant chunk of the freeway that even with the uh, cellular amplifier. Yes, the big I've antennas. Got, that I've got uh, mounted in the car. It goes, Mount, uh-uh. Mount, yeah. uh-uh. Mountains get in the way, and so the, there are dropouts. Chef, uh, what's streaming on the internet? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You're going to get me in trouble with the principal. <laughs> Alrighty. So let's bring this special edition of Alpha Geek Fridays from Vegas at the tail, tail end of the Consumer Electronics Show 2012 to a close. Now, here's the crapshoot. See what I did there? Joel, are you still <laughs> Nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. I did get that. Yeah, no, I got, got that. Excellent. Uh, Joel, thank you for bearing with us during the uh, ISP challenges. You get, you know, 10 hundred million screaming nerds in town for an electronics show, and it tends to crush the local available uh, pipe. Indeed. This is indeed what we find. We will return next week, same bat time, same bat channel, for another fine episode of Alpha Geek Fridays, this time hosted from home where we have reliable bandwidth. (laughs) Please take some time. Visit us on the web in our various forms. You can follow us on Twitter, at Joel Duggan. I am at GnomeWise. Follow Versus the World Productions at VTW Productions. If you wish to receive announcements when shows go live and when archives are posted and are ready for download and whenever we're doing fun and interesting things, Twitter and or Facebook. You can find us on Facebook as Versus the World Productions. You can also find this show under Alpha Geek Radio. Uh, you can find me under GnomeWise slash The Other Todd. Uh, so seek, seek Joel Duggan on the face. Put your face in the book. So we have many and varied. However you prefer to receive your announcements and your news, we've got a version for you. 
once Google gets around to publishing an API and some automation can be introduced, we will also be publishing to our Google Plus pages. They exist, but they are inactive because I am unable to introduce them to the auto-updating ecosystem we have developed. So, Google, I know you're listening. Get on that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, we have a promotion here. Oh, yes. As always. We did not get to use a whole lot of it because of our wealth of CES material and uh, challenges with Skype. I hate you, Microsoft. As usual, in our research thread, and I get to say the name, <clears throat> the amazing and incredible Boba Fetish, who now sports a very sexy Joel Duggan original avatar on Twitter, I see. That was one of yours, was it not, Joel? Yes, it is. So you have yeah, I, uh, on, on Starcrossed Online, there's a link through to commissions such as the aforementioned Boba Fetish <coughs> avatar, correct? Yeah, uh, if you go to starcrossedonline.com in the store, it takes you right to the commissions page. Uh, and one of the things that I offer is a color avatar sketch card. Uh, they start at $40. It's an additional uh, $10 for more than one person on the same card if you happen to do you know, something for a husband and wife sort of deal. Um, but uh, for 40 bucks, you can get a uh, color avatar that you can put up on Twitter. And you can check out uh, Boba Fetish at Boba... And of course, you, cut, I did you cut out right there during the address, but he is Boba, at Boba Fetish Wow on Twitter. And check out his uh, profile and see an example of Joel's uh, avatar work. And it's, a, it's a wonderful and, dare I say, sexy rendition of Boba Fetish. Glad you like it. He, he's uh, rather enjoying it himself as well. So. <laughs> All right. We need to vacate the stream in order to make room for this Scott Johnson guy who wants to do, I don't know, an instant podcast or the, the instant... An instance of a, pod, oh, no, um, ah, of a podcast? Go. He's going to instantiate a podcast. The instance, the I think is the name of the show, yeah. So, check us out on the web. Come back and join us again live next week because the live listeners have more soul. It's been scientifically proven on the internet. I have been the other Todd. I'm Todd Prime. And I am Wayne from Show X. And joining us through the miracle of broken Skype from Canada... Joel, Joel. Now you're just screwing with me. (laughs) Thank you, Joel. (laughs) And we, the heck, are out of here. Bye-bye, radio people. Bombardier, <laughs>